This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. Edward Gingrich was an Amish man from Rockdale Township, Crawford County, Pennsylvania. He was convicted of manslaughter in 1993 for the death of his wife, Katie. There were very early warning signs that Edward was suffering from some kind of psychosis and he could possibly snap. However, his religion and his life in the Amish community prevented him from getting any kind of real help. Instead, he was treated to different herbs and old wives' tales that did absolutely nothing to prevent Edward from snapping and killing his wife in one of the most horrific ways, all in front of his children. Edward was the first Amish person to be convicted of homicide, and his story highlights the need for better mental health awareness and treatment amongst the Amish. Now let's jump right in. Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Home for one of the United States' most remarkable religious groups, the Amish. Amid the hustle and fumes of modern America, this Anabaptist group continued to travel around in the same transport as those who founded the sect in Europe in the 17th century. Modified to suit traffic regulations, of course. And they wear exactly the same plain clothing as those forebears who settled and developed farms in the New World 250 years ago. There isn't a whole lot known about Edward Gingrich, probably because he was Amish, and the Amish live a very private life away from the public. But we do know that he was born at some point in 1966 in the Brownhill Amish community of Rockdale Township in Crawford County, Pennsylvania. If you're not familiar with the area like I wasn't, there are actually quite a few Amish communities all throughout Pennsylvania. With 53 settlements in total, Pennsylvania leads the nation in the number of Amish communities. And Crawford County, where Edward lived, is known for being the county containing the greatest number of individual Amish communities. While some of these communities are somewhat modern, many are still very traditional. The Brownhill Amish community that Edward was part of was an old order Amish family. So he grew up without electronic luxuries like televisions or telephones. They didn't have electricity or or indoor plumbing in the home. 
He never went to the mall or ever attended a traditional school. But just because a child is raised a certain way doesn't mean that they'll continue that path when they're older. And Edward was known to be a bit rebellious. He didn't always follow the rules. And he felt like he wanted more out of life than what the Amish lifestyle had to offer him. As a child, he was known to be a practical joker. He was loud, outgoing, maybe a bit of a show-off. He liked to goof around and have fun, maybe too much fun and not enough work. While he was destined to grow up and be an Amish farmer like those before him, he was far too interested in mechanics and technology to ever be happy with that kind of lifestyle. He would regularly engage with a lot of non-Amish outsiders, which fueled his desire to leave the Amish community. But as much as he dreamed of moving away and joining modern life, he just didn't have the guts, the courage to do it. And then he met Katie. I wouldn't necessarily say that this was a loving relationship, but it was one that was approved by their community. Katie came from a large family. Actually, she was a child of 16 kids, and she wanted to continue to live a traditional lifestyle with a large family. She was an honest, hardworking Amish woman, and the hope was that their marriage would bring Edward back closer to their beliefs. But this was not to be. After they were married, it really wasn't long before their first child was born. They would have three children in total, and while Katie continued to try to encourage Ed to live as a good Amish man is supposed to, Ed continued to drift. He became really depressed, wallowing in his own self-pity for not having the courage to leave the Amish community. Around this time, he also met a non-Amish man named Dave Lindsay. Edward had actually built a sawmill near his property that he used for woodworking because he really liked to work with his hands. And it was here that he would begin to meet with a lot of the local English folk. Well, Dave was a devout Christian from the modern world, and he told Ed that unless Ed left his Amish community and was baptized, he'd be going straight to hell when he died. Sounds like such a lovely Christian thing to tell your friend. This became a topic of conversation whenever the pair worked together, and it was really starting to get to Ed's head. Ed was already dissatisfied with the very traditional way of life, so what Dave was telling him really began to change his thought pattern, and it was showing up in different ways in his home life. He began to blame Katie for keeping him there. He would become physically abusive with her, hitting her even in front of their children. He began to wonder if his children were even his, or if his wife was having an affair with his older brother. Maybe the children were actually his brothers, and even if they weren't, he wished they were. He also began to spend more time outside of the family home, away from his wife and his children. And slowly, he began to experience a complete mental break away from reality. He became sickly, both in his mind and physically. He stopped eating and drinking water. And he began hallucinating. He reported seeing things like giant rabbits. His wife knew that there was clearly something wrong with him, but the idea of mental illness is just not something that the Amish are very familiar with. So she took him to their usual doctor, who was actually a chiropractor. 
And that just goes to show you how health in general, and in particular mental health, can very easily go untreated or mistreated. This chiropractor was commonly used in the Amish community for any physical ailments that they might have. So when Edward arrived and reported all of the mental health issues he was having, including the hallucinations, the treatment that he was prescribed was to have his toes pulled and to be given a jar of molasses as medicine. And then he was sent home. As you can imagine, he didn't get any better. Sometimes his hallucinations and behavior would become so outrageous that they would have to tie him up like a dog. Again, he was brought to see the chiropractor, where he received a head massage, more molasses, and again, he became no better. Most of the community knew that Edward was sick. They just didn't understand what his ailment was. As is typical within the Amish community, they did have a very strong support system. So if Edward was sick and couldn't work, the community would step in to help him. So again, they all knew that something wasn't right because they were having to kind of step in and pick up the pieces, but they didn't know exactly what it was. And Katie, she kept a lot of it to herself. What happens between a husband and a wife living the Amish lifestyle is kept very private. It finally became clear that Edward needed a much more serious treatment. And so Katie, along with Edward's two brothers, literally hogtied him and they brought him into the emergency room at a hospital. This would have been a last resort for them. Modern medicine goes against basically everything that they believe in. And this is where he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and he was put on an aggressive medication to treat his symptoms. Oftentimes, these kinds of meds can come with pretty severe side effects, and Edward didn't like it. He said that he felt like a zombie, and so he just stopped taking them. He continued to work through his delusions. He had to. His family depended on the income. And he continued to be influenced by outsiders while also dealing with his psychosis. The man that he had worked with at the woodshop, Dave Lindsay, continued to press him to leave the Amish community. It's said that it was Dave who made the connection between Edward's inability to leave the Amish and his wife, Katie suggesting that it was Katie who was keeping him confined there. Edward began to look at his wife Katie as this evil woman. He no longer saw his wife, but he said he saw a demon. Everything would come to a head on March 18, 1993, the day after Katie's 29th birthday. I don't usually talk about things that are so gruesome, but it's pretty unavoidable in this situation. So here is a trigger warning that the crime that was about to be committed was really, really violent. Edward walked into his home in a fit of madness. He was still suffering from his delusions, and he was now fully of the belief that Katie was keeping him stuck in the Amish community that he desperately wanted out of. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. 
I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day, because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious, with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. He walked up to his wife and he punched her in the face. Katie fell to the ground and called for her six-year-old son to run to his uncle Daniel's house to get help. Thankfully, this child listened and therefore he did not have to witness his father unleash absolute rage on his mother. However, it is likely that the other two children who were home at the time did see all of the events unfold. Edward would smash Katie's skull completely in. 
Actually, he had put on heavy, high-top work boots, and he used those boots to stomp on Katie's skull. Then he would begin to carefully dissect her, pulling out all of her internal organs and piling them beside her. When Edward's brother arrived on the scene, he walked into a very bloody mess. Katie was very clearly already deceased. She laid on the floor face up, naked, with all of her organs in a pile beside her. There was a paring knife also beside her body. Edward just kind of stood there beside Katie's body, covered in blood. His brother ran out of the house towards an English home so that he could use one of their telephones to dial 911. First on the scene was the assistant fire chief and also an EMT, Andy McLaughlin. He was familiar with the Amish community and even with Edward Gingrich himself. He had been to his home in the past, and he assisted in situations where Edward had gone insane. The call that he had received this time was for a disturbed male, and so he thought it could be a similar situation, that he would show up and that Edward would be barking like a dog or howling at the moon. Especially when he pulled up to the house and he saw Edward standing there with his two young children who were not even crying, likely from shock. When McLaughlin approached Edward, he was mumbling something under his breath about how his community would understand. But when McLaughlin walked into the small home and saw Katie's body, especially in the bloody mess that it was in, he immediately radioed for police backup. Edward was taken into police custody at that time. He was still clearly delusional because he was rambling on about how Katie might still be saved even though she was very much deceased. It was very clear after what he had done to her that she was long gone. Back at the police station, Edward was questioned about what had happened and why. He told the police that earlier in the day, he had gone to see that chiropractor that he had often seen for his sickness. He received a scalp massage and he had taken some molasses as part of his treatment. And then he said later he and Katie had an argument over a friend's wedding and whether or not he would attend. And that was it. The straw that broke the camel's back. The Amish community was devastated that this happened within their very small circle. They wanted the maximum punishment possible for Edward. They wanted the book thrown at him and they never wanted him to return to the community again. The trial was a bit of a circus, as you can imagine. This was the first time that an Amish man was to be charged with murder. Edward's lawyer claimed that he was too mentally ill to know what he was doing and that he was suffering from delusions, including the thought that Katie was demonic and, in a way, he was being possessed by the devil. Defense attorney Donald Lewis would say, quote, Ed cried out for help to his father, to his wife, to his brothers, saying he was getting worse, that the headaches were getting worse, that God had deserted him, that he was possessed by the devil. But the prosecution claimed that he knew very well what he was doing. Assistant District Attorney Doug Ferguson said, quote, It was a horrible killing, but that doesn't mean it was done by someone who was insane. More than 50 members of the Brownhill Amish community signed a petition advocating for keeping Gingrich in a mental hospital forever. They did not want him to ever come back. 
In the end, the jury refused to find Edward not guilty by reason of insanity, and instead they found him guilty of involuntary manslaughter, but mentally ill. With this charge, it meant that Edward would still be required to serve jail time, but he would also receive psychiatric treatment while he was in prison. Alternatively, if he had been found not guilty by reason of insanity, he would have served no jail time at all. Instead, he just would have been sent to a mental institution until he was deemed safe enough to be released back into society. So those are the two main differences there. Edward was sentenced to a minimum two and a half years and a maximum of five years with credit for time served. In this case, Edward was actually denied parole the first time that the opportunity came up. So he wound up serving his entire sentence, which wasn't much, just five years for a very violent murder. On March 19th, 1998, at the age of just 34, he was released. Now, I have a strong opinion about this kind of situation. It reminds me of the Greyhound bus killing in Canada. If you're not familiar with that story, a man beheaded another man, an absolute stranger, during a mental breakdown on a Greyhound bus. His name was Vince Lee, and not only did he cut the victim's head off, he also began to eat him. All of this seemed to come out of nowhere. There was no specific event that sparked this attack. Vincent Lee was found not criminally responsible for this, and he was granted an absolute discharge. He spent seven years in treatment before being released, and he now lives out in society independently. And even though he's required to take medication and have a check-in with his psychiatrist, I'm really not so sure that that makes me personally feel any better. I'm not a mental health professional, so I have no basis for my opinion. It's just the way that I feel. In my opinion, people who commit crimes so violent, so gruesome, so horrific, should spend the rest of their lives in treatment. Just keep the public safe. Again, that's just my opinion, but I always want to hear yours, so let me know what you think. While Ed was incarcerated, his three children that he had shared with Katie went to live with his parents. But now he was out of jail, and he was wanting to see them. Normally, a person would be shunned by their Amish community after committing murder. But Ed technically wasn't supposed to be, because the killing was deemed to be due to his mental illness. His parents had even told the children that Ed was only in prison because he was sick and he would get better soon. Of course, a lot of those feelings changed once Ed was actually out of jail. His community didn't want him there. Some of the families even moved away to other settlements because they were fearful that he would return. And Ed's own parents did not want to turn the children over to him. So Ed tried to prove himself. First, he moved into an Amish mental health hospital that was located in Michigan, where he could continue to receive ongoing treatment while also trying to rejoin the community slowly. There was some sort of incident that happened while he was there. I couldn't find out exactly what, but Ed had to be moved to a different facility, a different facility in Indiana, to receive a much more aggressive treatment. Then in 2007, he decided it was time to move back to Crawford County. He rented a house amongst the Brownhill Amish community, but most of those who lived there shunned him. 
and I don't really blame them. If something were to happen where Ed had another one of these mental breaks, there's not even any telephones nearby to call 911. Ed continued to take his medication for the most part, and he had a nurse and a psychiatrist follow him through his treatment. It at least appeared like he was really trying. And his two sons, who were now teenagers, decided to reconcile with him. However, his daughter, Mary, refused to see him or to speak with him. She continued to live with her grandparents, and she would not forgive her father for what he did to her mother. So Ed decided to take matters into his own hands. In April of 2007, just a few months after he had moved back into the community, he kidnapped Mary from a buggy that she was riding on. Everyone thought that perhaps he had snapped again, and this time he was going to kill his daughter. But thankfully, she was found a few days later safe. His reason for kidnapping Mary? Well, he wanted to try to force a reconciliation but she wasn't having any of it. For the kidnapping charge, he was sentenced to six months probation and he was fined $500, which seems a little light in my opinion, considering what he's capable of. The next few years continued to be a struggle for Ed as his community continued to shun him. He carried on receiving treatment through medication and psychiatry, But on January 14th, 2011, Edward would be found hanging from the second floor of his barn. On the 14th, Ed Gingrich went to the barn to feed the horse. Five hours later, Mrs. Shroke found him hanging from the second floor. The words, forgive me please, were written in the dust on a bucket. Strangely enough, the community that shunned him held a ceremony after his death to honor him. And he was buried in the local cemetery right next to Katie, the wife that he had brutally murdered. Reportedly, this was a way for them to reconcile with what he had done and to help his family members through their own difficulties. Many struggled with the idea that he would be burning in hell for taking his own life. And of course, I've got to kind of shake my head like, Okay, but he also stomped his wife's head in and then he took out all her organs. I mean, if that's ever a reason for going to hell, if it exists, I mean, I would personally think that that would be on the top of the list, but what do I know? This is a somewhat complicated case for many reasons. One being the lack of awareness and resources around mental health in the Amish community. To be fair, Ed Gingrich did attempt to get help for his delusions many, many times. He was constantly over to see the so-called doctor, but the treatment he received was just not appropriate. It was hocus-pocus hogwash, basically. He also spent time in a mental health facility, which would have been a strange idea for someone from a very traditional Amish community. But another thing that makes it complicated was the determination of whether his acts were due to his mental illness or if he was just a bad man that used his mental illness as an excuse to inflict brutality on his wife. Remember, he never really wanted to be married to Katie. He never wanted to have children, and he never wanted to stay in the community. He always talked about wanting to break away, have more freedom, and possibly join the modern world. So one has to wonder if this could be the real reason for the murder. But of course, I'd love to hear what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper 
You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're watching on YouTube, I would love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. And if you're listening to the audio version of this, guess what? I make video content too over on YouTube. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.